Hey everyone, welcome back to The Writer's Lens. This is Josh J.C. Alfelto. And a little bit of a break in the action from uh, following my second book's publication journey that uh, I hope you've been enjoying being upon uh, for this podcast. As I'm going to be interviewing in this episode, this is going to be part one of two, where I sit down with a fellow Cleveland creative uh, by the name of Brian Del Turco, who is a podcaster, a writer. He's an owner-operator of an editing and self-publishing platform company here in Cleveland. Uh, he's just basically an awesome guy. And Brian and I were connected uh, earlier this year, and ever since then we've been having some good conversations on just entrepreneurship, the creative writing process, you know, what does it mean to be a creative, and you know, just kind of follow the passion pursuit of your life. Brian has some years behind him in terms of publishing and independent press, and he's just basically taking the bull by the horns going forward with a bunch of projects of his own too. So I think you'll really enjoy this. Uh, like I said, Brian is a just he's just an all-around good guy. He's an all-around cool guy. So uh, I'm looking forward to sharing uh, our conversation that we had over the last well over the last couple weeks and the conversation that will continue. I'm sure. So this is part one of two with Brian Del Turco, uh, the owner-operator of Life Voice Quest and the voice of Jesus Smart, the podcast, as well as one half the voice of Substance TV here in Cleveland. Enjoy. All right. Well, welcome back, everyone. This is Josh JCL Felto for The Writer's Lens. And today I have a special guest on my podcast. Uh, he is a growing fellow friend, I should say, in the creative community. Uh, he is the owner-operator at Life Voice Quest. Uh, he is a fellow podcaster like myself and a writer. Uh, Brian Del Turco, how are you, sir? Hey, Josh. I'm doing wonderful. Thank you for having me on The Writer's Lens. I appreciate it, and I'm just looking forward to the dialogue. I love the dialogue we have on yeah, mic and off mic. Yeah, absolutely, my man. Um, to that note, then, I did want to share how you and I got connected in the first place. Sure. Uh, for anyone that, that does not know, um, Brian actually is a co-host for a podcast called Substance TV, and it's based out here in Cleveland. He's a co-host with Jason Howard. And I've been listening to Substance TV since they launched last year and just really enjoying a lot of the stuff that they've been doing. And in one particular episode, as most uh, podcasters do, they'll kind of ask for feedback or, hey, email us, get in touch with us. And I thought, these guys sound pretty cool. I'll just reach out to them, just say, hey, I like what you're doing. And not really expecting anything maybe back, but I did get a response. Uh, so to anyone that's listening, people will respond to your emails once in a while if you do yeah. reach out to them. <laughs> so uh, so I reached out to these gents. They got back to me and said, hey, why don't we just bring you on Substance TV? And I said, awesome. So I got, so I got on there, met Brian, got to meet uh, Jason. Again, actually, it was the second time I had met him uh, since we kind of crossed paths a few years back. But, uh, but yeah, you and I just kind of struck up a friendship there, kept connected. And it just turned out that you, Brian, were looking for a creative community to get plugged into. And as it turns out, uh, I happen to be a captain of one here in Cleveland. And I said, yeah. hey, man, we're going to draft you. We're going to bring yeah. you in. <laughs> yeah, that, that august body, the pens of steel. That's right. <laughs> the pens of steel. So I love it. <laughs> It's a great yep. group, little a little eclectic. They're not all writers, right? Some are like video guys and mm -hmm. and uh, other entrepreneurial, but a great a great alchemy there. I really I really enjoy the group, and, and you lead it well. It's well led, and 
Jason, Jason's a spiritual gangster. He likes to use that term, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna put that on him. But yeah, Substance TV, <laughs> check it out. Substance TV, it's on major podcast directories. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Jason says, hey man, this guy reached out to me, and mm-hmm. turns out he lives in Strongsville, and we've been communicating, and he was just so excited about that contact, and 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 we had some great, a great conversation. I need to go back to Substance TV and look up the ones with um, Joshua Felto. Cool. Cool. Yeah, it was a great time. It was a good time. And one of the first times I think I've actually been interviewed, uh, for, you know, being on a podcast like that. So that was, that was a great experience for me. So awesome. Just awesome stuff, which great conversation. Yeah. Which considering, uh, I just wanted to continue that conversation, obviously, because I wanted to bring you on here because you're a busy guy, as it turns out, uh, creatively speaking. Um, and since this is a creative podcast, this is the writer's lens, I thought you and I could just continue. Uh, just continue that discussion, talking about all the the endeavors, uh, your entrepreneurial spirit, uh, your passion for emerging voices mm-hmm. in the world of publication, mm-hmm. and just I think just radio in general. So all those things I've I've kind of put on the plate for you, Brian. Uh, how did you first get started? I mean, like, what's your story? Let's just kind of back up to the beginning. What is your story as it pertains to getting involved in publication or just, you know, any kind of creative endeavor, really? Like, where, you know, where, how did that all start for you? What's your story? Well, you know, you're familiar with Jeff Goins, right? The portfolio life concept. And mm-hmm. it seems that more and more people are, are not just like single tracking their careers over their lifetime, but there ends up being a portfolio effect that happens, even in, even in, in seasons throughout one's adult life. So I, I do have a background in radio, actually, a very short time in radio teaching, church ministry, and all of those those experiences and those seasons really, um, I think, generated and ignited a strong interest in content creation and in emerging voices. And um, I, would, I would love to talk about just emerging voices today, but it it advances conversations and dialogues, which moves the needle on the execution of ideas and creating initiatives and and um, projects which uh, add value, add value to our world. And so, yeah, for the past maybe five or six years under Life Voice Quest, I've been working with uh, independent authors and emerging voices in publishing. And it's sort of an a la carte approach, whatever their needs are, but it can involve it always involves coaching. It can involve editing uh, if they don't have editing help, book design, cover design, interior design, author platforming, and uh, you know ebooks. So, absolutely. Yeah, it definitely runs the gamut of many, many, many things that I know aspiring authors, aspiring writers are really looking for, Brian. Uh, you know, I've I've mentioned many times on my own podcast that I I started doing this publishing thing about six years ago now. And even in six years, I feel as though things have changed and continue to evolve and become more and more user friendly uh, and become more and more intuitive for the person that wants to get their voice heard, who wants to get their words out there. It just seems as though that the options keep piling up and the ability to reach as many people as possible just it, it seems as though there's no limit in terms of all the different avenues and distribution channels. Uh, is that also kind of your feel? And is that something that, you know, at Life Voice Quest that you try and sort of mentor people through, uh, who are looking to publish a book or looking to, you know, kind of see their creative ideas come to life? 
Yeah, I, I think it all fits under the uh, so-called digital revolution, and the publishing world sort of lagged behind a little bit. The music world, you know, the music world was rocked. All the major studios, when you know, the digital revolution uh, affected the production and distribution of music, mm-hmm. and eventually it caught up in the publishing world. And so, yeah, it's, there's been a big sort of a democratization, a flattening. No longer do we have to crawl to these gatekeepers that very, very few get through the gate. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, independent models of publishing, print-on-demand as well as short-run publishing and, and distribution channels and innovative and creative marketing and audience building and all of these things are now are now available. You know, not that not that a not that an emerging author needs to do all of that themselves. They can build a team. They can hire some of it out. Um, frankly, what's happened in publishing is because it's been rocked so much by the digital revolution. A lot of editors and book designers have have you know lost their their positions with publishing houses, and so now they're freelancers and they're out there. And so an emerging author can create sort of a virtual team around them, and. Um, you know, to help with the creation of their book and bringing it out into the world. Hmm. So I'm, a, I'm, I'm a big fan of self-publishing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, so, well, so am I. I mean, that's the way I've been. I've actually been publishing all of my stuff for the last, like I said, six years or so. And it, I mean, it is. It, it's a new layer of creative control that, like you said, uh, you know, new authors, new writers never had before. Yeah. And absolutely. the yeah, the ability to just take your work and go wherever you want, wherever. Whoever is offering you, the, you know, kind of the best platform, or maybe the easiest platform, which I think is a bit of a double-edged sword in some sense, uh, the easiest, you know, quickest route to get your words out there, mm-hmm. and that's something too that I think is rather interesting from my own experience is that since there is this incredible ability to reach, you know, sort of across the table and go directly to your audience with your print-on-demand book or sort of your social media marketing presence. Uh, do you feel like there is kind of a pressure on sort of authors, new writers to do things as quickly as possible as opposed, as opposed to maybe taking their time where in the old days it really was taking a lot of time. You had to write letters and wait months to hear back from agents oh, yeah. Could and be things like that. Years to even get an offer, right? Mm-hmm. And then if you, then if you were accepted in a, in a legacy commercial publishing, um, house or company, you might be looking at a 12 to 18 month timeline before your book actually comes to market. Mm. And so it's very elongated. So even to get accepted, if you can get accepted and, um, and then the timeline once you are accepted. So, so speed to market and, um, speed in your own development as an author, because in some sense, you know, the, the sooner you can release creative work out there in terms of publishing, it accelerates your own development mm-hmm. because you receive, feedback, you learn through your first project, your next project is better. Um, so it, it sort of fast tracks your development as an author. But, you know, to, to, to sort of counterbalance that, you don't want to put junk out there. You know, there's so much content out there now. There's so much noise that you sort of right. want to create, like, wow, content. You know, it, 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 the quality needs to be there very strong. So you got to balance that, the quality and how much time it may take to get the quality. But run as hard as fast as you as you can with that how do you help anybody how do you help any of your clients specifically manage that you know that that we don't want to you know jump this into the you know the deep end too quickly uh i mean do you kind of have your own i'm sure you've developed pretty much like a formula or kind of like a base 
say, hey, here are the steps we want to go through before we actually say this thing's ready to go. Yeah, and, and, and you know, one of the things that writer types are famous for is that it's never ready. They tend to be perfectionist and idealistic. Mm-hmm. So there almost needs to be a soft pressure on them. Really, they need to take it upon themselves to to put that soft pressure on them to to sort of um, like an editor would give you a hard deadline in a, in a publishing house. You need to do that for yourself. And like Seth Godin would say, there needs to be a point at which you ship it. And in in most cases, um, people exceed that point. You know that reasonable point of shipping something because of procrastination or it's not good enough or insecurity. Maybe how how it's going to be received a concern, so it's it's a balance there I think Josh of of you know pushing yourself and and giving yourself some hard deadlines if you can work with a hard deadline reasonably and um, and at the same time making sure that the quality is there it, it's very rarely does it feel fully baked you know it always mm-hmm. feels somewhat partially baked. Mm-hmm. And if and if you wait for that full bake feeling, you may wait ten years, twenty years. Oh, I know. You know. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> so know. It's, it's, I, there's a tension there, I think. Yeah, I mean, I I've, I've shared this on past episodes how I've gone to book signings, I've been at events where I'll have someone approach my my booth and they'll just say, you know, how long did it take you to write this book? And I'll say something along the lines of, you know, like a year, year and a half, and that includes the the manuscript. It includes. The editing, the proofreading, handing it off to a few, you know, close confidants that will look it over and kind of check the flow for me. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, kind of the creative group that we're a part of, yep. uh, which is invaluable. But but then a lot of times I'll get that kind of glazed look in their eyes and they'll go, oh, I've had this idea for six years yep. and I still can't get it right. And I just go, oh, my goodness. You know, I yeah. just, I, you know, I, I hope you can get in touch with somebody that can kind of help you maybe filter through the areas where you're stuck. Yeah, exactly. And it, and it takes a, a, a strong dose of self-discipline, you know. Um, uh, writing a book is not for the faint of heart, as you know. I mean, you're working <laughs> on your on your own second book right now, aren't you? Yeah. And, and getting ready to release that. It, it's it's not for the faint of heart, but, but, but if you are a writer, you have to do it. It's like <laughs> you just have to do it. There's great fulfillment and joy in doing it, and so you just go through the gauntlet, so to speak. But... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if somebody's saying six years, that's a sign right there that they're they're caught up in a maze of mm-hmm. emotions and mental games and not knowing how to get the help they need, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would you say that most of the people that you deal with, Brian, and and uh, I'm thinking of how to frame this question right, most of them maybe they're already working full time and they've they've kind of taken this passion project on. Yeah. Uh, I mean, is that kind of the feel of the self-publishing oh, yeah. market in general? I mean, yeah, I think it is, sure. Absolutely. I can't think of one person that I've worked with that was like doing it full time. Yeah, it's it's another layer in their life for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just I, I know uh Jeff Goines, uh you'd mentioned him earlier. Uh one of his books that had come out was uh Real Artists Don't Starve. Right. And and uh I just I love that because it speaks to this reality that you don't have to be this person that puts all your eggs in the publishing basket. Right. right. Like, you know, there is a priority list that you should make out of, you know, hey, pay my bills, take care of my responsibilities at home or whatever it might be and, and attend to those before I actually, you know, throw it caution to the wind and yeah. start, you know, start my book idea and just hope that it sells millions because oh, those yeah. 
yeah. you know, those those kinds of delusions of grandeur only go so far. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's kind of like unicorn thinking, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And it's magical thinking, and and you know, for the person that we hear where it sells millions and millions, it's it's so it's 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 so rare. I heard recently some. I heard recently that a bestseller is now considered uh, two thousand copies, or was that wasn't even the average. Uh, I. I, I think 2,000 copies was considered hmm. a solid success. Okay. No and so if it's two, if if you are like, and the whole thing of like bestseller, there's so many different bestseller lists, you know. And I think oh, uh, yeah. I think Jeff Goins had a, had a good podcast episode dealing with that. Exactly what is a bestseller, and what are the criteria? You know, the lists are different. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there and there's even procedures and techniques to get on a bestseller list, um, but. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, so, yeah, it, it's, it's, there's, authors are different, there's many different goals, many different visions and lifestyles and, and what they want to do with their book. Many of them see a book as part of a larger sort of constellation of ideas about content creation, what their audience building, and their, maybe their business or their, their, their influence, their reach with the work that they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think, you know, as as a fellow writer, we all feel like we have something really important to say, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we all feel like there's something on our heart or that we just, we feel like it's like in our bones, you know, and we got to get it out there and share it with other people. And, you know, this is something that you and I, you know, talking even off, off grid, uh, have engaged in conversation over quite a bit is this idea of just sort of grander narratives, that exists out there in the publication world and just, uh, you know, you and I have kind of used this or you really coined the term narrative wars, uh, that we were, we were discussing kind of the last time that you and I got together. And, and if you just want to kind of speak to this, because I, I really wanted to unpack this quite a bit since, uh, I, you know, just even on your website, you talk quite a bit about helping people find their voice in the midst of all the different narratives that are out there and all the different, uh, you know, kinds of content that, that people are, are putting out there that ultimately do have influence on our society or have an influence on our culture. So, yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah, if you wanted to speak to that a little bit. Well, I, <laughs> I, I, I may have been the first one to bring up the phrase narrative wars in our, in our personal dialogue, but I, I didn't coin the term, okay? <laughs> but, but between the wars, two of us then, Brian. Yeah, between the two of us in that, in that limited sphere right there. But, yeah, narrative wars is, is, a, is a known phenomenon. So whether we're yeah. talking about, like, movies or, or, you know, sitcoms or playwrights or even public policy and politics or educational curriculum, mm-hmm. there are narrative wars going on. And if, if we were to maybe look upstream from these narrative wars, just to kind of take a big, wide-angle view at first, and we can maybe zoom back in. But mm-hmm. if you go upstream from narrative wars, there, are, there, there is the issue of, like, worldviews. Mm-hmm. And, and beyond that, perhaps, ultimately, like, belief systems, you know, that, that shape our worldviews, which then shape content creation and narrative wars. And, you know, some, some parallel phrases are, like, content wars, and I, and I came up with one today in my own head, and, and maybe this one, maybe I am going to coin this one, but I doubt <laughs> it. Somebody else has probably said this as well, but I'm calling it voice wars, that, you know, each person is has a life voice. And, um, you know, we, 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 we talk about emerging voices, whether that's writing a book or some other form of creativity or, or content creation. But so, yeah, 
So, yeah. you know, we may think that, well, I'm writing a fiction book, I, I, have, a, I have a great idea for a storyline, or I'm writing some nonfiction content, but if we were to really think about it, and what, you know, maybe we're conscious about it or not so much, but there are narrative wars occurring, content wars, and um, some, some big things are at stake in our society and in our culture. That's, that's what I believe, and that's, that's a burden that I tend to carry. Yeah, well, I'm I'm right there with you, man. I, I, that's why I, I was really looking forward to this conversation because when you even mentioned the term voice wars, I was like, ooh, I got a little bit, a little bit of a chill there, Brian. I was like, oh yeah, that's so good. <laughs> that just that I think that just speaks to it because, I mean, just in this new realm of self-publishing, you know, uh, authors having their own platforms where they can reach virtually anybody. Okay, they don't have to rely on a on an agent or a, a, some other publisher to get their message to somebody. I mean, that really means something, you know, in, in such a broader sense and such a deeper sense too, because there's a level of engagement now where the author, the originator of the idea, can really, you know, speak to their audiences in, in such a new fashion Absolutely. that we're still trying to catch up to what this actually entails. I mean, we're yeah, not we even. You know, we're not yeah. even qu quite sure what the ramifications are even yeah. or, or the consequences of, of having, you know, author platforms where people can not only tell their fictional thriller story or their, you know, their, their teen drama, but they also can post out things that are politically motivated, culturally motivated, socially motivated. And that narrative becomes part of their platform. You know, that yeah. becomes part of their platform, too. So. So there's, it's not just, I guess, kind of in the old days where you could, uh, you know, I think of um, someone like a Stephen King, and immediately when I think of Stephen King, I think horror, you know, I think horror stories, but I believe he has his own Twitter now, and you can find every little thought that he has, you know, go at your own peril, I guess, considering what he writes about. Probably but a stream of consciousness there, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. He's brilliant, but, uh, he, and he has a great book on writing, I forget the title of it, I have it, but. He has no, a great I, book on, on the art of writing. Do you have that book or have you read it? Yeah, you know what? I was I think I was given that to me by a friend a while ago. Yeah. And uh or I, it's been recommended so many times, Brian. I think I, like everybody says you gotta read this book by Stephen King. The book on writing. It might it's actually not, be called not. that. It might yeah. it might actually be called the book on writing, but but yeah, so then you just like you were saying, the voice wars, now you're competing in a in a space for, you know, is your voice the loudest or is your voice the most cohesive and most competent? And as we both know, sometimes the most competent voice is not the loudest. It's sometimes the most controversial voice. Yeah, the most ridiculous voice. And, yeah. you know, the, the voice that's just popular because they're popular, that kind of a voice, the Kardashian-type voice, right? Mm -hmm. or, the, <laughs> or the, I don't know. But, yeah, so... Um, yeah, but because of the World Wide Web and because of the digital revolution, I, I just heard on a podcast just the other day by Seth Godin that something like 2 billion people on the planet now have a phone in their pocket or their purse. Wow. That's incredible to wow. think that you could post a social media piece or a blog post or your ebook potentially or some type of a piece of content related to your print book or a video or a podcast episode could theoretically, potentially, end up in one of these two billion pockets or purses on the planet. Isn't that amazing? 
It is. It really is amazing. I mean, I mean, I, I mean unless they're in a nation which filters out content, and there's some nations like that, but but mm-hmm. but just just mathematically or theoretically, that is is is, is possible. Mm-hmm. And you know, with that, that sense of opportunity, a sense of responsibility, and and then people in the know are saying that something like in the next five to seven years or something, there's like one to two billion more people coming online. You know, and, and this is on a planet of like between seven and eight billion people. So you can kind of just see the the access, it's direct, really, direct yeah. to consumer access, no gatekeepers, mm. no distribution channel problems. Yeah, it's it's really something when you start to kind of think about it. I mean, just the just the expansiveness of it. I remember years ago the and I I know Facebook might already be doing this, but they were flying like you know, internet drones over top of areas that didn't have internet access. Uh, you know, Zuckerberg was doing a big project with that just to try and reach people groups that didn't have internet and, yeah. you know, getting them media platforms so they can, you know, converse with the rest of the world via the internet. Yeah. Which is just, which is just totally wild. And, and we all love hate Facebook, don't we? And oh, there's yeah. a lot of controversy <laughs> and problems there with privacy and whatever their logarithm filtering, censoring, whatever. Hopefully, some of this stuff is going to be sorted out. But mm-hmm. well, the latest I've heard, I think, is now is it is, is it as high as 1.7 billion people are on Facebook? Yeah, it's something and, like that. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, the real power of Facebook for book marketing or any type of marketing is the paid advertising, the, the incredible information that's in Facebook and the targeting of advertisements and reaching audiences that have an affinity for what you're putting out. But mm-hmm. sort of another another topic. But um, I guess I guess we'll use Facebook as long as we consciously can, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And that, well, <laughs> yeah. Just, and that's. It's it's still the one that gets the most hits per day. I know it's definitely the most used social media platform that there is. I mean, I I know that Instagram and uh you know LinkedIn used to be somewhere near the top five, but I don't think it's nearly there anymore. I think it's kind of more of a static uh, site at this point. And it might it might still have some traction, but I mean, I know like Twitter obviously is is right there one two with Facebook. Uh, in terms of its usage and, and Twitter is something I, it's not that I have a personal vendetta against it. I just, I, I, I hate it so much. I just, I stay, I stay away from Twitter, I think, as yeah. much as, as it's much as I can. It can be a viper's pit as well, Twitter. Oh, that's a great way of putting it, Brian. You must be a writer. Facebook can be a, uh, a viper's pit too, but, uh, <laughs> I, I just feel a sense of opportunity and responsibility to sort of be in the marketplace of ideas or whether, you know, the square where the conversation is happening. And so, you know, if you're listening and you are an emerging voice and you have something mm-hmm. you, you feel burdened to say, something to bring to the table, and, and um, then, you know, you, you're, you're just almost under a compulsion to be there somehow. So, so how do you think, and this might not be an answer that, you know, either one of us can really uh, give an answer or a question any, either one of us can give an answer to, but I'm just curious to kind of open the dialogue up dialogue up on it is how as an emerging voice do we not stray from our core objectives or or maybe what our message is and just try to become the loudest voice out there like you know is there a I, I know there's no blueprint for success as far as reaching a large audience I mean there are there are blueprints I guess I should say that I, I kind of retract myself there a bit but but as far as what is the the blueprint of say an emerging voice someone who's looking to make a, a dent on you know social media or direct publishing or just things like that 
uh, you know, how do we navigate that well? You know, like what, what are some tactics? What are some things that we should do, uh, to make sure that we're navigating it well and, and keeping our expectations realistic? With, you know, yeah. <laughs> I just need to turn my mic off and have you, have you talk about that. I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I, I have written some, something on the lightvoicequest.com site, a very short article about are you an emerging voice? Um, emerging voices, are you one of them is what it's called. And it's, it's really just a, sort of a seed thought. But, you know, one day I was looking at an evergreen tree, you know, like a pine tree, and, and you'll notice that on the branch there's that dark, you know, the needles are dark green, but at the very tips, it'll mm-hmm. be like a light, almost luminous green. Have you ever seen that on, on those types yeah. of trees? And, 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 of course, what that color on the tips represents is is fresh new growth, you mm-hmm. know, recent fresh new emerging growth, if you will. And so I kind of saw that as a metaphor of, like, the new, gro- the, the new growth on an evergreen, like in the case of writing, like, new writing voices emerging. And, mm-hmm. are, you, and are you one of them? And, and why is it important? It's important, Josh, because we need fresh storylines. You know, mm. we need like new insights. Uh, we we need um, you know fresh ideas. And you know, there's no doubt that other darker emerging voices are are trying to pull things down or bringing out a polluted kind of a story or or, mm. or content. But but for the ones who want to be positive and elevate things and um, change things, move the needle for the good. It is true that the new growth is what brings fresh development, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, so emerge. The key is to emerge with your unique life voice message. It takes discipline. It takes mm-hmm. courage to put yourself out there and offer your work to others. But if you, what I wrote is that if you touch their heart, if you inspire them, if you bring new insights and new ways of seeing things, then you've done your part mm-hmm. to lift and to build. And and so I don't think we need to think about how many people can I reach so much as what is that unique life message that I am to bring. And if it's 1,000 people, if it's 500 people, you know, if, it, if it's 500,000 people, whatever that sphere of, of readership that you have, that's the sphere that you're sort of called to fulfill and go after. Hmm. And, um I, you know, I don't think we need to think like 10 million. I, I just think we need to think about what is that sphere. Mm, that's and, really and, good. You know, because it's we're learning as we go along too, Josh. A lot of this, a, a great dose of this is like just-in-time growth that we're all going through as, as content creators and just-in-time learning. And, and uh, we're, you know, we're seeking to grow our platforms, our audiences. And mm-hmm. so... No, that's a that's a really I think that's a really good answer on that because I know that I I think I struggled initially when I first started writing that the the delusion was as soon as I get my stuff out there and Barnes and Nobles has it, Amazon has it, I think Borders was maybe still around at the time, mm-hmm. Books a Million, like it's just going to get sold. You know, like people are I'm going to reach, you know, thousands if not millions just because my books out there. And the delusion is that there's a whole encompassing uh, sort of marketing campaign that you have to, you kind of have to grasp, okay, take the bull by the horns, if you will, and understand that it's more than just print a book and sell it, right? You know, it's, it's, it's more than just that. And, yeah. and that audience level can only, yeah, yeah, 
We have the a audience. romantic overt idea about, you know, we watch some old movie, some novelist who's holed up on some family farm or something, and he's writing, he's spending six months writing this novel, and then he releases it to the publisher, and that's all he does. And yep. the publisher takes it from there, and it becomes this tremendous thing. It gets written up in a movie script. Mm-hmm. It's it's like unicorn thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and that's... It's, it's romantical. And it and it's yeah and it, and I think it, it it speaks to your point about not worrying about you know are we reaching five hundred are we are we reaching a thousand are we, are we reaching a million uh, you know in a very short period of time and granted we should have goals I think there should be quantifiable goals associated with uh, our reach uh, you know from a social media standpoint or you know for publishing and trying to market ourselves but. I mean, I I know you're probably you might be familiar with Malcolm Gladwell's Tipping Point book, mm-hmm. where he talks about you know having sort of your sphere of influence, and then there's this one person that maybe your tipping point that you reach critical mass and it reaches you know ten times more people than you ever could have just because yeah. of this one person, and I think that really is is true to what you were saying in regards to when you find your your voice, if you will, if you if you find whatever that core messages that you feel strongly about, it's going to resonate with, with people, right? You know, people are going to resonate with it. They're going to relate to it in some way. Uh, if you're, you know, again, I, these are maybe my personal things, but you know, to do it with integrity, with honesty and someone will, will pick up on that. And that someone could be a gatekeeper. It could be someone who is like your tipping point who suddenly recommends this thing to, you know, 5,000 or has a following of 5,000 already. Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah. And and that's probably the better place we ought to be in rather than thinking we have to sort of shovel all of our own dirt out of the way and, and build our own trenches and, you know, let the water flow. You know, like, like we kind of, you know, we, we kind of think that's what we have to do. Uh, and there is a little bit of that rolling your sleeves up and, and getting out there and, and, you know, making your voice heard. But but uh, but I think that what you said is really true is that you can't you can't be so focused on those numbers necessarily. Uh, when you think you have a good, you know, sort of good product to give out there to everybody, so so mm-hmm. that was really good. Well, I, I I would like to think that our, you know, the first priority is like our authentic writing voice, our signature writing voice. Every emerging writer has a signature writing voice in them that it may be embryonic, and you know, it, it it'll develop over really a lifetime of writing. You find your voice by writing, right, Josh? I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's what everybody says. How do you find your writing voice? You write and you write a lot, and that's how you find it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so, but so that's a priority. Like, what is your unique like story or or um, content that that you want to bring? What is the muse in your life resting on right now? You know, we all go through seasons and growth mm-hmm. periods throughout our adult life, and, and and the muse may shift throughout our creative life i would suspect but you know what is the muse writing on okay so being faithful to that being faithful to your emerging signature writing voice and this has to do with like your expectations and your motivation your attitude um and then you know and and then as you said just just have that that sense of okay what is the readership for this right now or what is the audience in terms of its its size and its composition you know and being happy with that, mm-hmm. being fulfilled with that, but just stay authentic. And this is not to say that we don't do practical things. You know, right along with creating our content, we sort of have to have this parallel track of 
like building an audience and, and doing mm -hmm. practical marketing approaches uh, and, and launching techniques. But um, those are all just to get it before the right eyeballs. That's, that's the motivation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that, can, and that can be a whole just sort of overwhelming process as it is aside from just writing the book. Because yeah. I mean, you've just got so many options. I remember, I remember again going going back to the early days of, of publication and saying to myself, I should really get an editor, and then kind of foregoing it because when I started asking around, I got like, you know, two dozen different referrals at, at one point, and their you know, pricing's all over the charts, and I'm not sure about portfolios, and I don't know who to, you know, who am I supposed to trust necessarily with my work, and and I mean, I was like a baby. I mean, I was literally just like a baby. I mean, I. Granted, I had been writing enough that I thought I had my voice down at least. You know, I had at least my sort of my uh, my core yeah. content down. Yeah. But the larger picture of publishing and the larger sort of uh, you know bit of content that I was trying to produce, I mean, my mind wasn't there. You know, I wasn't thinking about those kinds of things. I wasn't thinking about having a 90-day launch, uh, you know, uh, plan or anything like that. I didn't have any of those thoughts in the back of my mind. And through the process of not only writing to find my voice, I end up finding, you know, what is right, what's wrong through the process of just trial and error, you know, yeah. trial, you know, trial and error out there in the market space. Yeah. Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, yes. Yeah, it's, it's getting out there. It's, it's stumbling. It's sort of failing your way forward a little bit and failing fast and being, you know, just slightly aggressive with showing initiative. Uh, one of the great, things we can do with the new technology and the whole digital age and, and the web and even like print on demand and ebooks is that we can be very agile. You know, we can be, mm -hmm. we can pivot very quickly on, on, on things and we can be as fast as we feel we need to be. You know, we, there might be a season where we're sort of sprinting and there may be another season where we pull back a little bit and maybe we're continuing to create, but we're working on other aspects of, of being an emerging voice, audience building or mm -hmm. platform building. But, um, yeah, I ran across an article by, uh, you know, several years ago by, I think her name is Oren, Oren Hoffman. Mm -hmm. And she really advanced my thinking about, about some of these ideas of, uh, I think her article was called the entrepreneur versus the strategy consultant, but mm -hmm. <laughs> she had some ideas there, which sort of ignited, some of them I probably just pulled right in, and, and, and other it, it may have ignited further ideas. But and basically, it's 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 how to be an entrepreneurial author is the angle. Mm -hmm. um, you know how not to just be an author, but be an entrepreneurial author. Mm -hmm. And you know, entrepreneur comes from the French, as you know. You got a French name, don't you? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. It, it, it means, <laughs> so okay. I totally relate to that, Brian. Okay. <laughs> it means to to seize an opportunity. You know, to mm -hmm. see an opportunity that maybe take a risk, step out, step up, and, and seize an opportunity. That's kind of what the word means. So to be an entrepreneurial author, I mean, you have something to say. You have a story, but you have to have an entrepreneurial edge about you. And we, and we typically find this out a little bit later, I think. We start out with writing, writing. Or maybe we're thinking a little magically back then about our story and about our content. But then, but eventually the reality of, you know, what i got to be actually a little bit entrepreneurial to to get this before people, right? Mm -hmm. And so it, it you know, like like owning it. You have to own the opportunity of what it means to bring your content out there. Mm -hmm. Don't just think that somebody else is going to do it for you because basically they're not. 
So that's part one of my conversation with Brian Del Turco. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, part two will be digging a little bit more deeply into just our personal lives. Just what does it mean to be a creative and you know have all these other priorities of your life? I know I talk about that a lot here on The Writer's Lens. And since I do see the world through the lens of a writer, uh, specifically through on this podcast, it can be rather difficult to be present and be in the places that we're supposed to be throughout our day when uh, we just, you know, we want to be creating, we want to be having our voices heard. And Brian, I feel, is a kindred spirit in that sense. So we're going to talk a little bit about that and just, you know, what it's like being married, having kids. And, you know, even if you're someone that's not married or you don't have any kids yet and, you know, you got that creative uh, juice in you, uh, you know, don't shy away from this. Uh, there's a lot of good content in here uh, between Brian and I, just a lot of good synergy uh, in conversation with Brian, as always. So hope you can uh, check that out next week. And again, like, share, subscribe, you know, let me know how things are going with this podcast. I love to hear from you guys. And uh, until the next time, uh, you guys have a safe and happy week. This is Josh J. Salfolto for the Writer's Lens, and I will catch up with you again soon.